Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And I can promise you this morning, you don't have to worry about me getting so strung out like what I did last Sunday morning. We had that that lady that uh, was church hopping that showed up last Sunday morning. And I, I, I just basically, when I see somebody that comes in, I know I can't save anybody. But I tell you what, I know that the message that God has given me of his mercy and grace through and by and only in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only message he will use to call out his elect true faith and true repentance. So when I see somebody come in, and I think everybody that's been with us for any period of time, you're sitting here and you hear a door open and all of a sudden things change in the message. It's not a different message, but... It is, I, I, I think I try as hard as I possibly can to make it as clear and as distinct as I possibly can from everything else. Because I, I know people have a tendency, uh, they listen to what you say, they'll nod their head to what you say, like, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. But listen, there, there's always a sticking point if they're not a child of God. So I don't have to back the wagon up today and unload the wagon today. So we'll, we'll actually cover some verses this morning. But I do want to begin with this because this is so important. Everything that he's saying in this chapter has something to do with brotherly love, with our relationship, our union to, our fellowship with. I mean, and that's the thing that you and I have to understand uh, as, as children of God. John put it best. I, I, th- I, I like the way John wrote it. He says, uh, if we, wa- well, let me read it to you. I forgot it, but let me read it to you. He said this in First John. That which we have heard, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. What kind of fellowship? Were we just buddies? No. Where we're related by blood. No. We have fellowship where? In Christ. In Christ. He said that we had you we might have you might have fellowship with us, and this is what we have to understand as sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice. By virtue of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true of every one of us. Truly our fellowship, all of God's elect. From the newborn babe in Christ to the oldest, most mature, most seasoned veteran in the gospel of God's grace, even John, the apostle Paul, Peter, truly our fellowship, their fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm telling you, eternal life is not something that we feel. I hope you understand that. I've tried to make that clear. Our emotions get involved with it. But we cannot let, our emotions can be tricked. Now they can. Eternal life, true salvation, which is the gift of God, is an absolute scriptural fact. That's all it is. I've said this so many times here and in other pulpits, many, many times here. I always think about the the TV broadcast that I watched as a child, Dragnet. You ever remember anybody watched Dragnet? Remember what his phrase was? Just the facts, man. Just the facts. That's what what this, this, this fellowship we have, this gospel that we declare. Our fellowship is with the Father, 
eternal life. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, who the Father. And our fellowship is with the Son. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent. So that's, our, that's where our fellowship is, is, has its foundation. That, and I'll tell you what, on this rock, you know, what, you know what Christ said? On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I finished up watching that series on the Hillsong Church, and uh, that sucker blew up like a nuclear warhead blew up in Hillsong. What happened to it? But to hear those people talk about, well, I just, I missed the church. You know, one lady said, I'll never step back in a church for the rest of my life. I thought you didn't step in one to begin with. And you realize that, don't you? You've never worshipped God. You've never been under the gospel. You've never been a true ch- in a true church except where the true gospel is preached, period. You've gone to a, a, a religious association and you've had interaction, much like social interaction, because that's what most churches are. They're just... Socially interactive groups, one with another. And see, the the children of God, we have a love and a union with one another through Jesus Christ our Lord that is unbreakable. Now, does that mean we don't ever get upset at one another? No, that's... (laughs) We're humans. And as humans, you know what? We get our feelings hurt. Me too. You too. And... Tragically, we get our feelings hurt all too easy, don't we? But here's the thing. We cannot, those that are born of God, they cannot and they will not allow the the feelings that they have for another child of God to separate them from the gospel. You understand that? I don't care if you and I can't can't stand to be in the same room with one another. I'm still coming to this place. And I think you would too. Because you're not here for me, and I'm not here for you. Because that, that's the thing. If you're here for me, or you're here for an interaction with me, or anybody else in this building, our mindset about worship's not correct. We come here to hear about Christ, about His blood, about His righteousness, about His accomplished death. And here's the thing. Our love toward one another is evidenced in this life. We want the best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 3. This, this lesson is let brotherly love continue part 3. Look at verse 13, verse 3 of chapter 13. Remember them that are in bonds. is bound with them. And them which suffer adversity is being yourselves also in the body. One thing this verse tells me right off the bat. Some of these people in this Hebrew fellowship to whom the apostle writes this epistle were in bonds over the gospel. They weren't in jail because they were thieves or liars or murderers or adulterers. They had been imprisoned because they loved the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what our Lord told the, his apostles, he said, the time comes when they'll think, it, they'll think they've done righteousness by doing what? 
kicking you out of the congregation, putting you in prison. Our Lord made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when you suffer for what? Not, yeah, isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that amazing how religious people turn those things around? Blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness' sake. Most people, you ask most of your friends, most of your family members, most of these people in all these churches around the area, ask them what it is to suffer for righteousness' sake, and you know what they're going to tell you? How you live. How people see you in your presentation. That's not suffering for righteousness' sake. I don't know if Kenny remembers this, but when we were down in Manny, I mean, I was I was a rascal back in, in my time. I was a I was a a once saved, always saved Southern Baptist. It was a, a mean spirited little devil. Is what I was. didn't have anything to do with even didn't go to church, but I still thought I was saved because I'd made a profession of religion. And Manny, just like every every town in Louisiana, we had a great majority of Pentecostal people down there. And we had Pentecostal friends that went to school with us. And even to this day, it's still in me. I go in a restaurant or something or go in a store and you see them women walk in with them big old bouffant beehives, you, you know what I mean, and dress with all that. They, you know, you think you ought to start a manufacturing company make them blue den- denim Mid-drift dresses that they all wear. They all wear the same dress. They all have the hair the same. And we used to pick at them. Now, we did. Me and, and Ricky Riser and all of we were mean to people, you know, just mock them. Like, why do you wear your hair that way? Why do you wear that shirt all the time? Why do you act that way? And you know what they, you know what they thought? They thought they were suffering for righteousness' sake. The Jews thought they suffered for righteousness' sake. Listen, all those people that, and this is tragic, all those Jews that died in the Holocaust, what did they think they were suffering for? For righteousness' sake. The wrong kind of righteousness. We get, we, by nature, we get that wrong. Because those Jews that thought they were suffering for righteousness' sake, Paul said they were what? Ignorant of the righteousness of God. And he says to us, Blessed are you when men shall persecute you for my name's sake, for, for this gospel that identifies and distinguishes the true Christ from every other Christ. And so some of these people, he said, Remember them that are in bonds. And see, these verses, they, they speak of our duty toward our brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer for the gospel's sake. It kills me. You know, you see so much on social media. The majority of it is just junk anyhow. But, you know, you're constantly seeing all these things, and and it it amazes me how many people that I consider to be true believers that believe the same God will promote something like pray for the, the people, the Christians, that are suffering in Iraq and Iran and all these other places. When I see that and I hear them talking about Christians suffering in other places, you know what the first thing that comes to my mind? Are they suffering for righteousness' sake or are they suffering for religious position's sake? There's a big deal of difference. Just because you've named the name of Christ and they've thrown you in jail over that, that don't mean you're suffering for the gospel. Because I tell you, the difference is this. You could renounce that. 
You can't renounce this righteousness. This righteousness is the righteousness that God instills in the heart, mind, and soul of understanding His people that enables them in the face of the greatest adversity to be like Stephen or Peter or Paul or James. You say, I'm not that strong. I guarantee if you'd talked to Stephen right before he was stoned, Stephen didn't think he was strong. Matter of fact, I know this. Stephen wasn't strong. I thank my God that you know, he tells us that when we're weak, then are we strong. So he was at his weakest. Why? He had nobody to depend on but the God of his salvation. Same God that was Abraham's shield and his exceeding great reward. Turn on, hold your place there. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. People say, y'all don't put enough emphasis on practicing these things. Well, listen, I'm going to put some emphasis on some practice here, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, or verse 24. He said, or verse 23, <laughs> verse 23. Verse 22, <laughs> come on. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble. You see that? He says there are some members of the body, they appear outwardly to be what? Weak. And they are. But listen to us. Even though they're weak, what are they? They're necessary. They're an essential. Listen, don't you ever think that you, whoever you are in Grace Baptist Church, that you're not necessary. You, you are as important as any other member of this local assembly. All of you. Well, I don't do anything. I tell you what, you do something. You sit out there and you listen to God's gospel and you rejoice in the crisis, priest. That's doing something. God, tell you what, by you sitting there, you know what you've done? You've encouraged me. And that's what this is about. We encourage one another. He says... And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the, that part which lacked. That there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same, listen, notice it's the same thing he's saying over in our text. What should we have? The same care for one another. What does that tell me? There, there should never be like there was in false religion. Even in those Southern Baptist churches I was in, you remember what it all broke up like? It broke up by, maybe by class, Finances or by intellect, some thinking they're smarter than others, or by social status, some of them are mayors or, or you know, somebody, a lawyer or something like that. We're all, we're all equal. And I say this as, as thoughtfully as I can I am one with you. Huh? 
people all the time that write to us, that find us on Sermon on the they always write to me and they, they call me, you know, Brother Richard or Pastor. I tell them the same thing that I've told you. Everybody in this church, just about without exception, how do you think of me? You call me by what? I got a name, don't I? Just like you got a name. Richard, that's my name. Now, the, the children, yeah, I, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that the children address me as Brother Richard, but everybody else in this church fellowship, what am I to you? I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by God's grace just like you are. I'm a person who stands in need of a righteousness every single solitary moment of my life just like you. And we should not divide up and segment ourselves off within the local assembly and not only within the local assembly, but throughout the entire true body of Christ. Separate ourselves out by class or division or, or intellect. We, we, we ought to be able to talk with one another just like we're, oh, wait, we're family. <laughs> Even families have squabbles. But they're still family. Whether, notice what he says here. Whether one member suffer, he says, remember those that are in bonds. He said, if they're, if they're suffering, who else is suffering? All the members suffer with it. You see that? Or one member be honored. If one of, one of our members exceeds and is blessed uh, financially or, or, or uh, with something, how should we react? We're blessed with them. We're one. This one body, it moves as a unit. I always think about the Song of Solomon when we talk like that. He says that they were a, there was a banner over them and they were a, a strong a, a banner over me. Banner over who? Banner over all of us is what? Love. And we're a great army in Christ Jesus. United we stand. Divided we fall. All the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Who? All of us. And members in particular. What an important place. I, all of us, how are we they here? I always think about that verse, Sally. I always think about you. I, 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 what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you didn't receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? I didn't ask for the grace of God. Did you? If you did, you asked for another grace. <laughs> grace means that, that it's undeserving. It was unsought for. I, I certainly was not looking for him. No, no more than those nine, ten coins were looking for that woman. Are those 99 or 100 sheep where they, they were all sheep, they're all coins. It was a prodigal son. He wasn't looking for anything. He had gone his own way, and we had too. And but for the grace of God, we'd, we'd still be there. You ought to thank God that He sought you when you sought Him not. I lead the blind by a way they have not known. Uh-huh. I tell you, it, it's easy. To talk about love, but evidences of love aren't so easy. Huh? And that's the goal and standard we should strive for from a spirit of adoption. We're, we, are, we are adopted sons and daughters. We are, listen, every member of the body of Christ are 
heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. Every one of them. So if we're all joint heirs with Christ and we're all as members in particular, like we read just a moment ago, joint heirs with Christ, how should we treat one another? How should we feel one for another? I know it will hit me again Next Sunday morning, when I stand up on that last service, because I know that my dear brother, Bill, and Gary are about to go away. And it'll be hard to control my emotions. It will. It will be hard for me to control my emotions. I, I, as, as your pastor, and I hope it's many, 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 many years in the future, I've, I've had the privilege now of pastoring this group for 36-plus years and never had to preach one funeral of any member in church, Grace Baptist Church. And as much as I know in my heart that everybody who believes this gospel is truly absent from the body and present with the Lord, that they are indeed, I can say this, conclusively and joyfully, if you leave this earth and you believe this gospel, you are indeed better off than me because i got to stay here. But that's still, knowing that to be true, that ain't going to make it any easier for us. Our hearts will break. Hmm? I remember how my heart broke when I lost my dad and my mom. I do. I tell you what, I, I knew the end of my mom and my dad. But I'll tell you this much. I know the end of you, and I know my end. But when you go, it's going to be hard for me to stand up here and say anything about you. Because we got to remain. In a way, we envy you. Do we not? But here's the thing. That knowledge of how we're to treat one another and how we should love one another as adopted sons and daughters of God and the certain knowledge of knowing how far short we come, it's what should be the cause to drive us where? To drive us back to the promises. To drive us back to depend more and more on God. I hate to sin, don't you? I wish, I really, well, I don't. Well, yeah, I do. I wish I wish I never sinned. <laughs> but I know if I didn't sin, I know what I'd be like. And I'm not excusing sin. Don't you? If anybody's watching this, I know these people in front of me understand what I just said. If you're watching out there and you just caught this part of the broadcast, you thought this guy's saying it's okay for us to sin. That's not what I'm saying. But I tell you what our sins do to us, to the child of God. They make us thankful that it is by the grace of God all the time. It's easy to rely on the grace of God when, when you're whatever men call living right or what you might consider living right. But when you've fallen into a state like King David or you've fallen into a state like old uh, Samson was in, 
I read a wonderful uh, devotional this week. I, I kind of kind of got all out of whack with everything that was going on this week, and I didn't post a whole lot to Facebook this week. But I read a wonderful article by William by Robert Hawker on uh, a Nazarite from the womb on Samson. That he was he was a Nazarite from his birth, and he's he's such a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I tell you, he was an awful sight out there with his head shaved and with his eyes gouged out, hooked up by a chain to a grist mill, pulling around grinding the grist. Huh? Who was he still? I tell you another one, Jonah. In the whale's belly. I bet that was up. <laughs> you envision that? And at the, you know, the, the thought, this is how the natural mind thinks. I think he, he, it says he turned his face toward the temple. I don't think he was turning. I think when it said he, I think I just answered my own question. He wasn't turning toward the temple in Jerusalem. He turned his face toward the temple. You know, the temple, he, because the temple is where God's at. Turned his face toward the temple where his Lord dwelt. And he says, I'll pay that vow that you've demanded me. And he said, what? Salvation is of the Lord. He had sinned. And like Kenny and I have talked in the past, reading, he didn't want to go there. He knew God was going to be merciful because God don't send somebody somewhere if he's not about to send mercy that way. And he didn't, as a Jew, he didn't want them, them Nazareth, those People down there in, uh, where was he going? Nineveh. He didn't want them Ninevites saved. And that's what's amazing. After he, after he got spit out by the well, he went and preached. How many? 120,000. They, they rent their clothes and sackcloth and ashes and repented. And what, what, did, what, did, what did he do? What did Jonah do? Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. We got 120,000 souls saved. Know what he does? He goes up and sits down under a tree. Morning. Falls asleep under a tree. Oh, we are a mess, aren't we? What did he need? Grace of God. What do we need? The grace of God. All our sin drives us where? It drives us back to him. Rest in his promises. Look at verse 4. Marriage, we got an opportunity to do this yesterday. Marriage is honorable in all. In the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Hmm. I wonder what this means. <laughs> and why is this thrown in there? Well, we've got to realize that at this particular time, there were those uh, religions. That what were they doing? They were forbidding marriage. Now, let me be clear up front. When they were forbidding marriage, it had nothing to do with what's going on in our generation today to where you know our, our people up yonder in Washington voted to, and then the Supreme Court upheld at Obergefell or whatever it is to where... Anybody can marry anybody. And I, I saw this week, I read an article this week. There's some place up in Massachusetts right now, 
and I remember people saying this, and I myself thought it back when they passed that, if anybody can marry anybody, why can't you marry more than one person at a time? They have now got a place in Massachusetts that they believe it's okay, and they have legalized it in the state of Massachusetts. I think that's the state that you can marry as many people as you want, polygamy. Just have all you want. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about homosexual marriage. Because listen, the way the way it came from the, the, the mouth of Almighty God when He first established man, He took Adam and Eve. Remember, He took a, a rib out of Adam, a man, a man, a true biological man, and He made a woman. And why did He make him her for Him? Why did He do that? He saw that he was how? He was alone. He needed what? An helpmeet. Didn't need a slave. He didn't need somebody he could beat down. And that's not the husband's role. I, as, as we read those verses yesterday for Hannah and Drew's wedding, I, I think about that. Everybody, everybody wants to key on about the wife submitting to her husband, but here's the thing. A wife will submit to a husband if a husband loves her as Christ loves the church. It's easy for a woman to follow a man that shows her love and appreciation and respect and values her word and her, her confidence and her uh, knowledge and wisdom. We got to listen to women sometimes. Now, in, uh, properly, in the church, women have a role, a role given by our God. And it doesn't seem to be the role that, that the world likes to appreciate, but nevertheless, you know, the way, you know what the Word of God says about a woman's role within the church? And teach children. And teach young adults. And teaching men. Not going to happen. You say, well, that's just old-fashioned. Well, I tell you what, that's what this book says. And we followed this book since we started this church. And as long as I'm the pastor, you know what we're going to do? We're going to follow this book, what it teaches. And the Lord's been pleased to bless it. So that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about marriage outside of the realm of what marriage is. This reason a man, you hear that? A man shall leave his father and his mother. Not his father and his father and his mother and his mother. They'll leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his what? Wife. And I'm pretty sure a wife is what? It's a female. And they two, and let, this is the only way. It takes a man and a woman for two to be one. But they were forbidden. We've, we've been studying through First Timothy in our Wednesday night Bible study a couple weeks ago, we covered this passage when he was writing to that young pastor, Timothy, and he told Timothy this. He said, uh, forbid, he said, in the end time, they'll be, listen to what he says. He says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And listen to this, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats 
which God hath created to receive with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And how, how true is that even in our generation? The Catholics have finally started letting some of their priests don't make it right, but they, you know, they went for years. You could not be married and be a priest. Now they got all kinds of problems and controversy, just like all religion does. But how many, how many religions, they, you know, they're, they're teetotalers. I'm not telling you go out and get drunk, but I tell you what the scriptures tell us what? Temperance. Moderation. Don't get drunk. Be not drunk with wine. You hear that? Don't be drunk. That means you can have an occasional, yeah. And I can, I, I'll never forget as long as I live. When the gospel first came to Grace, to Broad Acres Baptist Church in Shreveport, it was by a guy that's now long dead and gone to be with our Lord from down in Lake Charles, Brother McKinney, who came out from underneath uh, not Henry Mahan. I didn't know Henry Mahan from Adam when he was there. And to be honest with you, when he preached that Bible, that he came, they, I don't know how Don got his name. Don got his name up and he preached a revival for us. And when he got done, he came in there and was talking with Don, and I was Don's second in command. I was sitting in Don's office when he came in there to tell us bye. And he gave him, gave him that tape by Henry, do you really want to know the gospel? That's where that thing came from. And he handed it to me. He said, you might want to consider getting this guy. And Don looked at that tape after he walked out. He just opened his desk drawer up and threw that thing in there. He said, I'll never have that guy back, and I certainly don't want this guy. And I'm like, why, Don? He said, I'll, he said, if I'd have known that dude smoked a pipe, I'd have never had him in my pulpit. And you know what old Richard said? I don't blame you. <laughs> and yet, by divine providence, that changed not only my life, but all our lives. <laughs> but that's where religion leads to, this forbidding thing. See, apparently those that, that there were those contending that somehow or another, if you didn't marry, what were you? You're more holy. You're more righteous. But, the, you know, it, it, it saying you need to be celibate. And I tell you what, young, young people, you should be celibate until you marry. You should. That's just that's scriptural, and it's honest, and it's forthright to the partner that you one day be led by God's providence to be with. But what the apostle tells them is that marriage, you know, it's not only honorable, but he says, what is marriage the only remedy for? What's the only thing that takes care of adultery and fornication? Marriage. Didn't he say in another place it's better to marry than to what? Burn. Burn with what? With lustful passion. Because think about it. who's the author of marriage? You think about how, how glorious this thing. And this is the thing I always think about. I didn't read that far yesterday. I, I, I meant to read further than that, but I, I had my notes written out, so I didn't remember the last part of those verses. He makes it very clear after he gives that list in Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands love your wife and wives submit yourself. And he says, but I'm not speaking about a marriage down here. What am I speaking about? I'm speaking about Christ and his church. That's why when he talks about, I think it's over in uh, Habakkuk maybe. Might be where he's at. 
that, that the Lord hates putting away. The Lord hateth putting away. And that putting away is divorce. Here's the thing. What would Christ never do? See, we, we, you know, our Lord told them that Moses gave them a commandment by way of weakness in man that what should you do? You could write a bill of divorcement. Christ said it wasn't that way from the beginning. Why? Because the true marriage between a man and a wife is a picture of what? Christ to his church. And there's no bill of divorcement there. Christ, can, we, we can get divorced, and we do. Christ don't. Go read Hosea. It, it, was her name Gomer? <laughs> what was her name? Gopher Gomer. I don't forgot what her name is. She was she was out there whoring around like all oh, get out. What did what did God tell tell Hosea to do? Go get her. Stay after. Don't let her go. Don't let her go. Ain't you grateful Christ won't let us go ever? See those who refuse marriage and continue in a life of fornication and adultery or those who marry and continue in a life of adultery, reveal themselves to be what? Ignorant of the grace of God, mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, believers, they, they fall into these things. I take it back. I got fall into my note. They, they deliberately act on these things at times. But you know what God, God will not allow them to do? He won't allow them to continue. He won't. Whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens and scourges every son. We've already read and been through that. That's as far as I can get. <laughs> I've run out of time. I apologize for being so long, long-winded. I really do. <laughs> we'll stop right there. We'll come back next time and pick up. I wanted to get through verse 5 and 6. I, I can't get through these verses. I'm hung up here, so. You're dismissed the worst part.